Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear brethren, as we look forward with joyful anticipation to the ordination of Reverend Mr. Bernard Bevan to the sacred priesthood on Wednesday at the seminary of St. Pius X in Nicone, let us give thanks that we will have another Christ in the world, another oblation, and another hope for the salvation of hundreds, if not thousands, of souls. The enormity of God's goodness is glimpsed in the ordination of a priest, for it renders Christ present in the world again, so that man might continue to benefit from his teaching, from his government, and from his sanctification through his entire life. This vocation to the priesthood, like all other vocations, has its origins in the correct disposition of a soul to, to a divine calling. God has a plan for everyone. Everyone has a vocation. But alas, so few recognize the call. And fewer still have the fortitude and the generosity of faith to follow it through. Such souls who are left stranded, paralyzed, are left restless and risk falling into a path of life that fixes them in restlessness. What does God want me to do with my life? A soul not already fixed upon a vocation might say, well, I'd love to be married and have children, but I, I just can't find the right spouse. Or sometimes I'm moved by desire to give myself entirely to God. But then the feeling goes away. There are moments when I see myself given over to great works that only the solitary life will allow. But these moments evaporate with the morning dew. So what does God want me to do with my life? Such are the thoughts of many restless souls, and they wait for an illumination. Sometimes they wait for a dramatic sign to point to their future, or even a push. Always waiting, never finding peace. They risk living out their lives in sadness. What does God want me to do with my life? Now, th those people who are inclined to mysticism will say, oh, what you need to do is you need to strain your ear to that inner voice that whispers to you in the depths of prayer. There you will find God's will. Now, that can happen, of course, but it is rare. Don't look for mystical voices. Don't look for providential signs beyond the concrete, beyond those which you can be sure about. The greatest and surest manifestation of God's will is in circumstances. Objective circumstances and subjective circumstances. I'll run through a list. If you want to know what God wants for you, for everyone, this is true. The fact that God created you, he sustains you, and he sanctifies you, if you are in a state of grace, means that God's will, it's a universal will, is that you know him, love him, and serve him in this life, 
to be with him forever in the next. God's will for you is therefore declared by your existence in the broadest brushstroke. He wants you to follow his will as written in nature, the natural law, and also his will as revealed to us and taught to us by the church. So whatever your future is to be, whatever your vocation is to be or already is, it must have God at the center. God must be the causa finalis, the ultimate end, the finality of your life. Now, another concrete circumstance is, for instance, your sex, whether you're a man or a woman. And, of course, a man might have a vocation as a husband or a priest or a monk or even a vocation. It exists to the unmarried life, to bachelorhood in the world. And a woman, in parallel as a mirror image, might have a vocation as a mother or a nun or, again, single in the world. It is a vocation, single in the world. The next Eta Misarest, Father Hennig's done a nice article upon this. Because so often people think the single vocation is, oh, the leftovers, the people who never quite made it. No. I mean, it can happen that way. The people who don't follow the signs, they don't follow God's will, they can be left over and fans are single. But there is a single vocation. There is, for some, God does will it. And let me tell you that you will never be happy in your state of life unless you follow, you look for God's will and you follow God's will. Unless you live according to God's will, you will never be truly happy. If you put yourself first rather than God first, your life will be a miserable life as we witness all around us and even witness in ourselves when we stray from the path. Age is another concrete circumstance. Above 35 years of age, seminaries and religious congregations are reluctant to accept seminarians and postulants because souls are harder to form at that age or from that age or as they get older, as they advance in age. Bad habits are more firmly rooted and good habits are harder to instill. And even marriage too. Marriage is going to be harder later in life because marriage is about renouncing self, giving yourself to the other, self-sacrifice for the common good of the family. And that's hard if you've just lived, done always what you, you were inclined to do. That's difficult. So age is an indication of what vocation you should follow. And then there's also the common good. It's not just my good, my salvation. I can only achieve my salvation if I work for the common good. I will never find happiness outside of the common good. Because I'm a social being, man is a social being, and he will only find his perfection in the perfection of the society that he lives, when the society in which he lives becomes perfect. And so, for example, we need priests, we need religious, more so than ever before, perhaps. We look at the state of the church, it's in free fall collapse. And so there is a concrete circumstance which indicates God's will is irrefutable. He wants priests. He wants religious, that army of, of, of holy souls who sustain the whole mystical body of Christ with their prayers and sacrifices. He needs us. He needs them. The harvest was rich, but the laborers are for you. Our blessed Lord said so himself. There's an objective need for souls to give themselves 
to the church's mission. And in the Society of St. Pius X, the flood of vocations is not as great as it should be. The fact that we have 700 priests in the field now, throughout the world, that's 700 priests on the front line, teaching, governing, and sanctifying, should mean that we should have more vocations than we do. And we're fighting against a a world which tries to steal souls from the church. And it's a hard uphill fight. Also, obviously, we're not holy enough as priests. And the need has been amplified in the last couple of years, because everywhere throughout the world, as Rome plunges deeper into the crisis, the crisis of liberalism, more and more faithful have come to us. For instance, I was just over in Italy. I was in Italy for the uh, ceremony of profession and also taking the veil of the consoling sisters of the Sacred Heart, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. And then last year they had 10 new novices. And this year they had five new novices and, uh, and there were also four professed sisters. It's a congregation that's grown from 2015. There were 11 professed nuns and probably about three, four novices. And now there are 47 in seven years. It's gone from 11, uh, probably say, say 15 if we include the novices. It's gone from 15 to 47. This is a congregation really blessed, and uh, it fills me with joy. It fills me with joy. And it's something that I, I encourage all young ladies to look at. Look at this congregation as an example. There was a journalist who was at the ceremony, and uh, she wasn't a tradition, or she was from the a conservative Catholic milieu. And um, she said, I've been to lots of congregations before, but I don't understand. I mean, this, this congregation is so varied. You've got Italians, lots of Americans, you've got Africans. There was an Indian girl who made a profession yesterday, and you've got eight, eight Indian sisters. And, um, and she said, I don't understand why they are so happy. And re- really, the, the answer is because they have the supernatural life. They have an ordered life, so their nat- or everything natural is in order, but also... They are living with God's life. It's a flourishing community because it's a holy community. And its, it's effect, it shines throughout the church. And it will draw more vocations still. It will grow and grow. But anyway, Italy, they've had in the last couple of years, probably on average, a 200% increase in congregation in two years. If you average out the different chapels. And same number of priests. So... We need to pray for vocations, very much so. Objective circumstance. But also, in vocations, there are subjective circumstances, the ones that apply to individuals. For instance, things like health. Health will determine whether you can pursue a priestly or a religious vocation, or even the vocation of a parent. You have poor physical or mental health. This is clearly God speaking to you, saying, no, these paths are closed to you. We accept it as his will. Virtues or vices, these are signs of God's will. A certain degree of perfection is required for every vocation, and the absence of which is a clear sign that reform is required, and also attempting attempting to embark upon a vocation without the necessary virtues is foolish, willful, 
A priest, for example, without the faith or without charity for souls. A husband without prudence. Or a mother without a loving heart. These are all monsters in their vocation. They exist. They exist. But your, the virtues you have are a sign of God's will for you. The responsibilities that you have. Now, for example, if you have an aged parent um, and there is nobody else to look after that aged parent, then it's God's will that you, that's your vocation. You follow the vocation. If you have a civic duty like military service, you can't then uh, plan to get married and then, of course, have to abandon your wife and family. Or you can't, they wouldn't let you into a seminary or a modest monastery if you had military service waiting to be done. These are signs, God's signs. If you have debts to pay, similarly, you can't get married if you've got a big debt to pay off. You can't join a religious community if you've got a debt to pay off. Uh, events in your life. If an attempt is made to pursue a particular vocation, but it fails, I mean, it might be that that particular community is not the one for you. But if it's a repeated attempt, and also with counsel, it fails. This is God's will. He wants you to pursue a different vocation. Now, of course, marriage, that's why preparation in marriage is important. Because you need to discover whether that's your vocation before you get married. Because if you get married and you realize, I don't have a vocation to this, then your life is going to be a sad one or a difficult one. So look at the subjective circumstances. Health, virtues, vices, responsibilities, events. These are all signs of God's will. But the vocation is not made of objective circumstances or subjective circumstances. These are just the signposts to a vocation. A vocation is an act of the will impelled by grace. It is a seeming contradiction of the faith that a morally good act is one that is free, but nevertheless has God as its cause. I'll say that again. It seems contradictory that when you perform a good action, for it to be morally good, you have to be free in performing that action. But every good action, morally good action, has God as its cause. And you say, no, no, surely it's the person who does it, the one with the free will, he's the cause. Yes, but it's God who actually inclines his will to goodness. And it's not, it's not a contradiction. Because the reason why we think it's a contradiction is because we put God as a cause and our will as a cause on the same level. No, God causes our goodwill. So one must decide freely what vocation one pursues. Freely, but also having investigated all the circumstances, having sought advice, one decides oneself now, to decide freely means that one cannot have any chains, which are vices, which will destroy our freedom. For instance, if you're addicted to something or another, if you're addicted to your phone, you are no longer free. You are a slave to the vice of the media, of social media. 
you'd cease to be free. And so therefore, you're, you cannot act freely. You have a vice, you have a, you have a chain that has stopped you acting freely. Understand that a free act is always going to be a, a good act. A free act, truly free, the perfection of freedom, is always going to be a good act. When somebody chooses evil, they say, I'm free to choose evil. No, they are a prisoner. The moment their will inclines to evil, they are trapped. They are a prisoner to that choice. And so true freedom as a perfection which exists in God can never incline to sin. It only inclines to good. And true freedom is actually the act of choosing good. So, a vocation is principally the will, impelled by grace, having God as its primary cause, choosing a path of life of perfection. That's what a vocation is. That's the essence of a vocation. The will, impelled by grace, choosing a life of perfection. And for that vocation to have the seal of approval, there must be an authority. For the priesthood, the vocation to the priesthood only really exists, has its seal, when the bishop calls the ordinand, the deacon, during the ceremony of ordination. In the last seat of Miseres, it was titled Adsum. The assistant priest reads out the names of the candidates and they stand up and they say, Adsum, I am here. And that's the call of the bishop. When the, when the name is called out, that's the call of the bishop. And that is when the, the seal of the vocation is there. And similarly, in religious life, it's the call of the superior. And then for marriage, it is not a call of the local parish priest, but the church should guide their counsel and their advice and their guidance should be sought. Couples wishing to be married should put themselves under their local parish priest to guide them on the path to that vocation. So there is a submission to an authority there. So every vocation should take into account objective circumstances, the fact that you exist, the fact of your sex, the fact of your age, and the fact of the need for vocations, or the need for the common good. And also we should take into account subjective circumstances, health, virtues, responsibilities, and events. But principally, a vocation is the act of the will impelled by grace, under the seal of authority. Now, the only vocations, I said before, which might not seem to require positive authority or a positive act of the will is the vocation to the single life. This is because those who are not wise enough or motivated enough to discern the will of God might well end up single. And for them, it would be a non-vocation. If you remain single because you've never really applied yourself to determining what is God's will for me and taken steps, not only to discover it, but to put it into effect, then you will be single by default. But there are others, there are others who seek the will of God, which requires reading the circumstances and making an act of will and a certain submission to the authority of one's priest or a spiritual guide. And then they will find God's will in the single life.
God has a plan for everyone. It is for us to determine what that is and to pray for the grace to carry it through. So, my dear brethren, let us pray for Mr. Bernard Bevan and also Miss Lily Kane and Miss Teresa Blythe and for all those searching to do God's will to make this world a better place and to fill heaven with souls. Let us pray for them and pray that many more people be disposed to read the signs and have their will moved by grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.